The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So early, early on in my Christian life, um, I would try to do things uh, for God to try to please him. Don't get me wrong, I, I still want to do that today, but it's with a totally different motivation. Um, in my formative years growing up, I would go to church on Sundays regularly, but also sometimes two times during the week, and at certain seasons of the church year, I would fast. I would, I would especially go to church on these days that are called holy days of obligation. I mean, you got to do that, and, and, and then fast on certain days, but also just like join organizations to help other people to do good, you know, and then uh, to pray these memorized prayers. I'd do all that kind of thing, and as I was thinking about that, being disciple learning, I, I would think, you know, it was like kind of me just checking off boxes, you know, you know, and I wanted God to say, hey, you know, good boy, Tony, you deserve to be in heaven someday. And then as I got older, just graduated from college, started the workforce, I actually started to read the Bible for myself personally. Now, I would listen to it at church, of course, with the readings and all that, but I just kind of checked out, you know, and didn't really want to read it. But, but, but God, through a friendship, caused me to start reading the Bible. And then when, when I was reading it, I was just amazed at some of the things that Jesus would say, especially in the Gospels. Like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Really? You're saying that? Who are you, Jesus? And then he's healing people and driving demons out of people. And I was just amazed. And when I thought about this, going back thinking about being a disciple, I thought, you know what, back then, when I just started reading the Bible, I felt like this, that I was a spectator. I was just a fan of Jesus. Kind of like the crowds, remember from last week, the multitudes that came, they were just taking what Jesus was giving freely and just kind of receiving it. It's kind of like I'd be in the stands saying, yeah, go Jesus, wow, that's amazing, you know, and show me something else, And, and I would just sit there. And then I started to understand slowly slowly, that Jesus didn't want me just to sit and listen and just be wowed by his amazingness and his grace, not just to sit and listen, but as he's actually inviting me and he's inviting you to follow him out into the world. So it became clearer to me that I wasn't just to sit there on earth, right, that that this earth is just not for me to sit and be fed by all his goodness, but to actually go along with him on his mission. So By God's grace, I became drawn closer to God through reading his word and to believe, come to believe that, God, you're actually working through me. You're actually working through me, a broken vessel like this. Last week, we established in this discipleship series that God wants us to make disciples, right? Matthew's gospel said, go and make disciples. But remember, we said this, well, how are we going to make disciples if we don't really know what exactly a disciple is? And so we came to this kind of definition of what a disciple is. It's one who follows Jesus. One who follows Jesus to become like him so that we can participate with him and on his mission. His mission was to redeem, to buy back the world, to restore the world, to reconcile the world. Remember, use those three big Christian words to do that, but then that we're joining him in that, but we can show others how to do the same. We follow, we imitate, we look at his life, we show others how to be disciples. So this week, we're going to focus really on what uh, a disciple does. But before that, let's just establish this, okay? That this, this discipleship, 
this process takes some time. Discipleship process takes some time. When you observe Jesus in the Gospels, at least when I started reading Jesus in the Gospels, making disciples more, looks more like a friendship than it does you know, going to seminary and taking a class on theology. It looks more like conversations and shared life experiences than it does going to a classroom with lectures. Discipleship. What's discipleship? It's spending intentional time together. Having unhurried conversations, having these spontaneous conversations, and really just talking about what real life is, what real truth is, and pattering your life around the mentor, the person that you're with, shows that all throughout the scriptures, especially the Gospels, I'm going to point in kind of rapid fashion where that is. Mark chapter 3, it's on the screen, you don't have to turn there yet to Mark. He, Jesus, appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be what? With him, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 says this Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. Also, some women. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been. You see the pattern? If you're growing as a disciple, discipleship happens when you are with, when you're with the one discipling you. How's that happen? Conversations in the car, over the dinner table, when you're going on vacation, when you're at a backyard bonfire, when you're on field trips, when you spend time on the weekend together, stories happen, laughter happens, tears happen, joy happens, and along the way, Jesus is shared. Intentional time together. Unhurried conversations, spontaneous conversations about real life, a disciple has grown. It's why really I choose and I have the mindset of, of being with people who are not yet Christian. I want to show you a picture of my current soccer team and some of these guys that this is my son, Ryan, who's now in St. Louis playing soccer. But a lot of these guys I coach with. Some just graduated from college, but they are nominal. They're agnostic. They had a little taste of Christianity in England, in Scotland, in Brazil, a Muslim from France. We won, by the way, the, the championship last session. We didn't win it this session. But that's okay, because what happens after we play a game of soccer, we share a great cold beverage together, right? And we're just talking about all kinds of, of things about life. And along the way, spiritual conversations come up. And it's a blessing for me to be there. You know, I don't even know why they have me on their team. I'm the old guy, right? A lot of these guys are young, but, but maybe they think, you know, well, pastor can give us some luck, I think. You know, holy, holy guy, I, I don't know. Maybe they just wanted my son to play, and they said, oh, yeah, you come along too. But, but discipleship, it's a process that takes some time and happens through ongoing relationships. I've had these relationships with these guys for years, and I pray I continue to do that. Some of them come, they'll come tonight when we play futsal as well, not just outside but inside. We're going to move on to the main question, what do disciples do? What do disciples do? I found it interesting in an article I read uh, this quote from uh, a, man, a man by the name of Dallas Willard. He's an author and a professor, and he says this, and I think it's kind of a bold statement. He says, the greatest issue facing the world today. Really, the greatest? 
Is she facing the world with all its heartbreaking needs? And do you agree we, there's all kinds of heartbreaking needs out there? All kinds. But he says the greatest issue is that whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven, where? Into every corner of human existence. I thought it was very interesting that he would say that's the greatest need. You see, a disciple of Jesus just doesn't hear his teachings, just doesn't sit, right, and just, just hear what Jesus said because Jesus said this, blessed are those that don't just listen to my words, but, but do them, yeah, do them. A disciple imitates Jesus, follows Jesus to become more like him. And that's shared throughout all the New Testament We'll start with Jesus' words in John chapter 14. He said, anyone who has faith in me will, will do. If you have faith in me, you will do what I have been doing. The apostle John, his apostle, his disciple, says, if anyone obeys this word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims, whoever claims to live in him must, must live. Live as Jesus did. Then the apostle Paul writes in Corinthians Follow my, therefore be imitators, Ephesians first, therefore be imitators of God. Be imitators. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He writes also in in Corinthians. Therefore I urge you to imitate. Imitate me. For this reason I'm sending you a young pastor named Timothy. He's going to remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. That's really what we do on a Sunday. We remind one another of what Jesus has done and how he, his way of life. Remember, the writer of Hebrews says, remember your leaders, consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. So there's this balance, you know, you look at me, you look at Joe, you look at RJ, and sometimes you put us on a pedestal. Ooh, pastor and his family and all that kind of stuff, we're your leaders, true, you know, but at the same time, we're just like you. We're disciples. So consider our outcome, our way of life imitate not what I don't do that goes against Jesus but what I do do to display who Jesus is in my life you see that's a disciple a disciple imitates a disciple follows a disciple lives like the way Jesus did on this earth when you read the gospels I'm amazed at least when I read the gospels about Jesus how all these things are coming at Jesus all these things meaning you know there are people tugging on his cloak heal me right I need bread I need fish you know the apostles are asking all these questions what do you mean by this you know and he's just like bombarded you know Jewish people trying to trap him all these things he it's like what's going on you know it's kind of hard to decipher but at the same time it all boils down to kind of what I see is this overarching, this first main characteristic, really, of what a disciple is. It's remembering our true identity. That's what a disciple does. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He remembers who he is, what he has, what he's to do. I hinted that at it last week. I said to you, remember, we can't be Jesus, but we can be like him. Good, you remember that. Jesus knew without a doubt who he was. So I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 1. It's on page 1,552 in the Bibles we provide. And I think it's just displayed beautifully about who Jesus is. Okay? Beginning in verse 9. 
At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. Man, what a sight that would be. He saw heaven torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. His identity is clear, isn't it? Who's Jesus? Son of the heavenly king and father of all of us. Who are we? Sons and daughters of that same heavenly king. What does Jesus have? He has the Father's love and approval. What do we have? Same thing. The Father's love and approval. What's Jesus to be about? His Father's mission. What are we to be about? Same thing. Go and make disciples. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he had. And he knew what he was to be about. Really, I think that's the foundational step of being a disciple of Jesus, remembering our true identity, who we are, whose we are, and what we're about to be doing. Flip over to John chapter 13 in John's gospel, and I think this portion of Scripture is really a good example of how Jesus puts into practice remembering his identity. I know for 11 o'clock, you guys are kind of quiet today. I don't know if it's the weather, the breeze outside. You all right? Are you good? All right. Thank you. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 3. Jesus knew. We can say Jesus remembered. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. I'm going to stop there for a minute. You see Jesus remembering this? This is who I am. This is what I'm about. And then he goes on with this whole story. I'm not going to read it all about washing all the disciples' feet. Pick it up in verse 12, though. John 13, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place, and asked this question. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, that's Lord God. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. You want to know a place in Scripture where Jesus calls himself God? There you go. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. Remember that rabbi, disciple model we were talking about last week? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. Blessed if you what? Do them. You see, what Jesus does, he, it flows out of what rem, about remembering who he is. He's the son of the king of the universe. Same thing that we ought to do too. And he instructed us as disciples to do the same. Follow my example. Imitate me. So let me ask you this question this morning. Okay, you ready? You ever wake up in the morning and you face the day with kind of an identity crisis? Or a crisis of confidence? What do I mean? You ever feel when you wake up that you're just inadequate to perform the task that's set out for you, that you're not able to do what the work it is that you've been called to do. Happens to me. Even when I'm going into 18 years of being a pastor, I still have these thoughts. God, how am I going to do what you've called me to do? 
I feel like Moses and Jeremiah sometimes. Moses in Exodus 3, who am I, he says. Jeremiah chapter 1, I'm just a child, meaning I don't have all this wisdom. What are these bunch of eyes and ears, you know, hearing me today talking about? I feel like that sometimes. I know I am a guy that goes off on tangents sometimes, especially about soccer. Okay. I feel I'm not worthy. I feel confused. Yeah, I confuse you sometimes. I don't say the right things. All that goes through my head. You ever wake up in the morning and feel like that? Who does? Yeah. God, I have no idea how I'm going to handle the situation with my family, with my wife, with my children, with my mom, my dad, at work or at school. You ever overwhelmed by these kinds of situations? I know in a group this size, I know there's struggles, struggles with thoughts that, you know, maybe you're in your head, I'm worthless, I'm ugly, I'm a mess, I'm dumb, I'm incompetent. You know what those thoughts are? You know what those feelings and those doubts are? They're identity struggles. That's what they are, they're identity struggles. Solution, really? is to be in this place, because that's all we do is remind each other of what God says and what Jesus has already done. Here's what God says. It's him that establishes our true identity. We are God's workmanship. We're his masterpiece. We're created and loved by him. We're sons and daughters of the one true God. Is that good news? That's our true identity. When those thoughts come, we can say, get behind me, Satan. That's not true. Stop with the accusations, those negative thoughts. I'm a baptized child of God. So what defines me is not my failures. It's not my successes. It's not my strengths. It's not my weaknesses. It's not my addictions. It's not my mental health or my employment, my marriage, my personality, my looks. That doesn't identify me. What, remind, what, what identifies me is remembering my true identity. And really, that's the difference between confidence and anxiety. And that's the difference between fear and assurance. That's what it is. That's how I get up here and just speak to you guys, right? You're like looking at me, some of your faces. Man, I'm telling you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Smiling at me would be great. You know, it just helps me like, please, okay? But, but, but that's what the Bible says. And that's the difference. And I love it. Even if you don't smile at me, if you, you know, give me a grimace, that's okay. I know who my king is. I know the spirit's inside me. I know I'm preaching is true. Because that's what the Bible says. Because here's what the Bible says. If you are in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you are in Christ, then you're a new creation. Are you in Christ? Yes, you're a baptized child of God. Yes, you believe in him. If you're in Christ, the old is what? It's gone. That's what the Bible says. The new has come on me. That's my true identity. Being in Christ, though, doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that those negative feelings are simply going to vanish. It doesn't mean that the sin in my life, the temptations in my life just going to be gone. It doesn't mean that because it's a battle every day. Amen? So what do we do about it? We come to worship services. We go and be involved in Bible studies. We're in small groups to remind one another of our true identity. You're smiling more at me, by the way. So a disciple of Jesus remembers their true identity. Why? Because Jesus does. And that's what we get to do. That's the privilege we have coming here. So I'm glad. I don't know about you, but I, I like to worship. Amen? So before I start detailing in kind of rapid fashion what Jesus actually does, I'm going to take a pause for just a minute, and I'm going to talk to specifically people in this room that are 18 years or younger. If you're 18 years old or younger, raise your hand. 
You're not raising your hand, 18 year old or younger. There's one little boy at 9.15 service, you know, I'm shaking hands, being very pastorly. Hello, good morning, how are you? This nine-year-old comes, hola, amigo. <laughs> really? Hold your hands up high for just a minute so I see them, okay? Can you praise God, adults in this room, for them in this place? I'm so glad you're worshiping here. You're growing in your faith. I have these words from the Bible for you. Ready? First Timothy 4, you can put your hands down. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. You see, being a disciple, teaching others how to be a disciple, is not just for adults. Are we blessed by young people? Yes, absolutely. When you're at church, keep on listening. doesn't matter how boring I am, right? If you have one thing, you get out of it. It's awesome. Who remembers here back in the 90s that, that fad that was, that was known as WWJD? Remember who wore a bracelet like that? WWJD. Hold them on. You don't have to be embarrassed. That's okay. People wore braces all the time because this was good. You know, it's like what would what? What would Jesus do? So we're going to talk about what did actually Jesus do. And I know my time's limited. I could preach for a long time. But here's what I want you to do. Take, these, take that sermon outline. Go back in, in, in this week and say, hey, where was Jesus when he did these things? So number, one, number two, really, after we remember identity, what did Jesus do? He lived simply. The Bible says that he not only lived simply, he worked hard, he served selfless, he lived simply because in the Bible, you remember where he says, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to what? To lay his head. There was nothing fancy, there was basic meals. You know, the only fancy thing he did is probably go to a wedding celebration, a wedding banquet. That's about it. He worked hard. Can you imagine how many miles in three years Jesus walked from town to town? Ever look, Google that. Maybe while I'm still talking, that's okay, you can multitask. Uh, how many thousands and hours he spent walking all around, you know, not much recreation or relaxation time, serving selflessly? Isn't that what he did? He served selflessly. He cared for others more than his own needs. He healed the lame, the blind, the lepers, the, the, the ones possessed by demons. He not only did those three, he listened, number four or five. He listened. He spoke truth. He loved. He spent time with people as he listens. He, he's the ultimate one that uses his two ears more than his one mouth, right? He listened, especially as he engaged in conversations with strangers, people that were totally different from him, especially the lowest of the low, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. He listened to them, taking heart to what they were having to say to him. He spoke the truth. He told others about his heavenly father. He called sin, sin, didn't he? But he encouraged an eternal perspective as he was doing that. He looked toward heaven. He preached and taught what God had to say from the Old Testament. He loved. He loved God first. He loved others next. He didn't put his own needs before the needs of others. He gave up everything, didn't he? His own life for us. He loved. He forgave. He forgave. He ran from temptation. He prayed. He forgave. And how many people wronged him during his life? Disciples flee from him. His own family members, the Bible says in John 7, they didn't either. They thought he was crazy, right? He's on the cross, though, and he says, Father, forgive them. Us too. Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Sometimes, brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know what I'm doing. God knows that. He forgives me for that as well as he does you. He runs from temptation. Doesn't he? 
He faces the devil. Well, he confronts the devil before he runs away. He runs away from temptation. Can you imagine all the places he goes to? What he had to do with his eyes, right? Not to look lustfully. What he did with his mouth, not to speak gossip and lies. He didn't do any of that. Food before him, didn't eat excessively, didn't drink excessively. He did it all perfectly. When the devil tempts him, he comes back at the devil with God's own words. He's prayed. He's a man of prayer, isn't he? I mean, last week we talked about him going up to a mountainside, praying all night to his heavenly father before choosing his disciples. He goes to private places. He prays. He puts his relationship with the heavenly father first. And that's kind of convicting for me. You know, maybe it is for you. How many of you wake up in the morning and you go to your phone and you look at your emails, your texts, your social media before you even do, you know, any prayer time with God or Bible study? I mean, yikes. I mean, you look at this whole list and is it convicting for all of us as his followers? I know it is for me. If you look at that list that we fall short and, and we, we don't do what a disciple does, but then what do we do with that? Do we just kind of wallow in self-pity? We just throw up our hands and say, you know what, I can't do any of this, God, I'm done. Or, or do we apologize to God and say, there's a new day, and we remember our true identity, and I know, Lord, that you forgive me. Help me today. I want to follow you as a, a disciple. Help me remember who I really am, that I'm a saint and a sinner at the same time. I'm forgiven by you, but I know that I also am tempted by sin, and I do that, so forgive me, Lord. You see, when those thoughts and how we, we, we pray to God that way, right? Here's what I want you to remember from 1 John chapter 2. I love what it says. John writes, as a, as a rabbi, as a teacher, right, of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, he's writing these words, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, who here sins? Every hand should go up, Right? If anybody does sin, we have an advocate, the Father, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice, meaning he is the only sacrifice that the Father says is perfect. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We have good news to share with people, don't we? It's not only our sins are forgiven, but your sins are forgiven. The people that we're hanging out with day to day, the people that look to us as the one that's the holy one, right? Good news to share. It's not what we do. It's what Jesus has done. And because of that, we can follow him into this mission, into the world to go and make disciples. What's a disciple? Disciple is one who follows Jesus. One who follows Jesus to become like him so that we can participate with him in his mission and we can show others how to do the same thing. I hope you're motivated today to be a disciple of Jesus. In the fall, we're gonna start with ways that we can help you in this discipleship process. Small groups are always available. We're gonna teach a class called Arts of Spiritual Conversations where you can learn some of these arts to understand how we have spiritual conversations. In the, in the year to come, we're going to have other things. You can be involved on Wednesday nights. You can be involved on Sunday mornings as we continue to do what Christ told us to do. Show others how to do the same.